0: NJHD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
1: Five o'clock hour of The Sports Bash. Josh, heading billion for Mike Gill, along with Hunter Brody here. At Broads81 on Twitter. At Josh Hennig on Twitter. Sports Bash being brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you. Visit them online at gmslaw.com. Playstrickenhouse.com. Text board is open for you to get on the conversation. 609-403-0973. Also, every texter today. Text it in the show. Get on the conversation. you have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets. The Atlantic City In-Water Boat Show. That's September 10th through the 13th. So next weekend, the Atlantic City In-Water Boat Show. You have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets. Just text in 609-403-0973. Get on the conversation, and we will contact you after the show. Let you know if you won or not. We got four packs here on 973 ESPN. Got a little Eagles news for you. What's that? More moves. They've made more moves to get this roster down. Uh, five players have been moved today. So they waived uh, Michael Jaquette, Matt Leo, and Caleb Wilson. They've released T.Y. McGill and Trevor Williams. So it looks like the Eagles yesterday was a little bit more about offensive trim downs. Today was a little bit more about defensive trim downs. They got rid of uh, two defensive backs and two defensive linemen. And I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Leo ends up on that practice squad. Because he's a guy I know a lot of people seem to like in the organization. From everything I've heard and read, the Trevor Williams thing is interesting because they've kind of remember that he was cut early on in camp. Then they brought him back, and now they're releasing him again. Like it almost feels like he was just here to like fill out the roster so they could have like full on practices or something like that. It
2: did seem that way, yeah. Because they released him, then they brought him back, and and you just wondered, you know, how do you feel as a player? But but if that's your only call, right? If you're sitting around hanging out waiting for another NFL team to call you. You take that opportunity no matter who it is, but it did seem a little bit weird that it played out the way that it did for him, but nothing too surprising, I would say, on this list.
1: Yeah, I don't think this list was as surprising as yesterday, but I think it's definitely telling that the Eagles the Eagles, seem to have a plan when it comes to how they're trimming down the roster to get to the 53 tomorrow, and we also know the 53 tomorrow is not going to be the final roster because... We know other teams are going to make cuts. I'm assuming as of right now, and at least maybe, maybe this is maybe a little hopeful. Maybe this is a little bit naive, but I st- I still believe the Eagles are waiting to see what offensive linemen get cut around the league. But if they're getting cut, there's a reason why they're getting cut. Yes and no. Sometimes it's financially related. Sometimes teams are trying to trim down the money. Sometimes that there's a guy that they drafted. Like for example, I mentioned Gabe Jackson to. Adam Kaplan yesterday, you know, a team that has drafted somebody to take somebody else's job, and maybe that veteran just doesn't fit in the long-term plans of the team. doesn't mean he can't play anymore. It just means he doesn't fit in the long-term plans of that specific team.
2: Yeah, I think you're being a little bit more hopeful than I would be. And I'm not saying you can't find value out there. Sure, there's definitely going to be some pieces that get cut that have value that can help the team. But to what extent? When you have Jason Peters there... In this roster already and and on the line, will you find someone who would be better at left tackle than Jason Peters? I'm not claiming that Jason Peters is elite by any means. He has obviously taken a step back because of his age, but don't you have the best left tackle that you can probably find when it comes to what's on your roster and what you can find out there?
1: Well, did you say that? Because the Eagles just worked somebody out today. Somebody who has about 80, 90 starts at left tackle in his NFL career. Cordy Glenn, they worked him out today. Uh, Cordy Glenn, for those who uh, may not remember, 30 years old now, played a long time with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, For reference purposes, remember when Jason Peters came to the Eagles from Buffalo? Cordy Glenn is the guy who took over left tackle for Jason Peters when they got rid of him, when they traded him. He's the guy that they drafted. He played a, a bunch of years for them, had a little time in Cincinnati. And he was a free agent still this offseason because he was coming off of an injury. So does that get you excited? I think it's better
2: than a Matt Pryor. I think it's better than throwing my of right out That's there. That's how I
1: feel. Sure. I feel that Cordy Glenn is a guy that I would feel a lot more comfortable with at that left tackle right now than Matt Pryor. That's we, 100% sure.
2: Are we not factoring in how big of an issue this offensive line is right now? Are we not discussing how poor this can go? Like, this can go very, very bad Look, either, if they don't figure it
1: out. Either the Eagles are undervaluing our concerns because they know something that we don't, or we are not trusting the Eagles enough. It has to be one of the two to me, because... I don't see how on earth you are telling me that a man who has never played on the left side of the offensive line in his his college or professional life is now all of a sudden going to play left tackle in week one against the defensive line with Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, and Ryan Kerrigan coming at my franchise quarterback. So either I'm an idiot or... The Eagles know something that we don't. Well,
2: they need depth regardless. On the offensive line, they need extra bodies because if one person goes down at this point, they are really screwed. So they're going to have to find a way to get some sort of player in here. And, and then we talk about, well, the money with Jason Peters. He wants to get more money. So how does that factor into the cap and everything involved with Howie Roseman on top of signing some veteran players or some players in general to fill out some of that depth? It's definitely not an easy situation, and I'm curious to see how this whole thing plays out, but I don't think Jason Peters is just going to move over to left tackle at this point, so I'm prepared to see him at right guard, and I don't know if that's the best way to approach things. To me, it's find a way to work out what you need to work out financially to get Jason Peters over there, because Carson Wentz is your franchise guy, and you brought up what type of firepower is on the other side in Washington, and it's a tough ask to have someone step into that left tackle spot if they're not really accustomed to it.
1: I just hope this Cordy Glenn workout is more than just a workout. I hope it's legitimately going to lead to something because they need something. I'm not saying Cordy Glenn is going to solve all your problems, but Cordy Glenn at 30 years old certainly wouldn't have been worse than Andre Dillard this year. You know what I mean? Like Andre Dillard with no OTAs, no mini camps, you know, having maybe not the greatest camp in How the world. How
2: unfortunate is that though, to hear. You're you're right, and I agree with you, but the fact that you got this kid to play left tackle for the rest of you know the his career, hopefully, to play and be the guy, and you're saying, yeah, thirty year old Cordy Glenn is probably better. So maybe it's not better,
1: but he won't be worse. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's, he's not going to hurt you. You know, he's a second-round pick. He's a guy who has 95 starts in the NFL. Excuse me. Now, those 95 starts, I believe 90 of them have been a left tackle. You know what I mean? I just feel like that's, that's what I need to see. That's what I need to hear. That's what I've been waiting for the Eagles to give me something. And, you know, maybe what they do is they set the 53-man roster And then they sign Cordy Glenn to fill out the roster. And then they wait to see who else gets cut around the league. And then they make one more shifteroo. And then on game day, because we're going to have 16 people in the practice squad, you can call two people up. Maybe that's where Deontay Burnett plays week one.
2: How do you feel about this team overall heading into week one? See, the thing is, if, if I ask you how do you feel about week one, I think we realize that the talent on the Eagles is probably better than the Washington football team. So you think, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. But overall, how do you feel about this team right now when you think about the injuries, when you think about Javon Hargrave, which is a big-time loss to start the season, and you have some question marks in certain spots.
1: My biggest concern Mill is Parks. the offensive of line.
2: Well, that should be. Above
1: the, everything else. That should be. If they can get either a Cordy Glenn or somebody in here to play left tackle and they're they're solid, I think the majority of my concerns are, allevied, are relieved because for me... If this offensive line is has got its you-know-what together, I feel a lot better about things.
2: But even Cordy Glenn's addition, which I think would help this team, I don't know if that sells me enough.
1: I think it's a problem regardless. Well, the offensive line is definitely a question mark because of a variety of reasons. But and we're spoiled
2: because we're used to great offensive right.
1: line play. But here's the thing. You won a Super Bowl with Vitae, right? So... The Eagles have shown you they can win football games without elite talent at left tackle. So you don't need elite talent. I just needed to not be Matt Pryor, okay? I needed to be a guy who didn't spend his entire college career on the opposite side of the line. How many times have we heard from... Everybody from Trey Thomas on the Sports Bash, right? He came on with you guys. We've heard people like Brian Baldinger who played offensive line in the NFL. We've heard multiple people. If you're not used to making that switch from one side of the line to the other, it's like doing everything with the opposite hand, and it's not easy. So I'm assuming from people who have played the position who would know the problems of making that switch. That Matt Pryor playing left tackle, I don't care how strong and how big he is, is not as simple as he'll be fine. I'm sorry. I don't garner a lot of confidence. So if it's Cordy Glenn or if it's somebody else, I don't care who it is. I just don't want it to be Matt Pryor because I'm very concerned that he's going to backpedal the wrong direction and then Chase Young is going to come blasting through the line and blow up my quarterback and the ball's going to get fumbled and someone's going to scoop it up and run in for a touchdown and the Eagles are going to be down 7-0 on the first play of the season.
2: Well, the first play, that's just aggressive. You could have sold me maybe the first drive, but the first play, he's going to go back on the wrong foot. That would be bad. And this is why I don't trust Doug Peterson to go full circle in a conversation we had earlier today because he's the one trying to sell, oh, my Alada, Matt Pryor. Stop with that nonsense. I don't buy any of it. But what does this mean for Andre Dillard? Because by the time you see him next, you still don't know what he is. You have no clue what the left tackle of your future was what we claimed he was. You have no clue what he is, and he'll be entering his third season next year.
1: You asked a good question, and I don't remember what day of the week it was this week, about do the Eagles look at drafting another tackle in the draft next year because of the uncertainty with Diller. Yeah,
2: he asked Adam Kaplan that a couple of football maybe it was two footballs and four. On it it was it no? was
1: it was either this week or last week. Yeah. And I understand what Adam's answer was. You know, he, he doesn't want to give too much conjecture. So I'm gonna answer the question for you. All right. It would be negligence if they didn't. Okay? It would be negligence if they didn't draft another offensive lineman. And I think that if you ask the Eagles right now, off the record, there's somebody in the organization going to say, well, Prince Tango Winango is supposed to be that guy eventually, right? That they drafted him and they drafted Driscoll because they think both of those guys can be something because you saw them at, Alabama, uh, I'm sorry, at Auburn versus Alabama get very physical in that game. And that Iron Bowl, a huge reason why there was the game that went that way and things happened was because... It was Prince and it was Driscoll who got very physical with an Alabama offensive line that to that point have been dominating people. And I think that there's a perception right now in the Eagles organization that you drafted these guys because you know they can be physical up front. So maybe in their minds that's the eventual goal, but I don't think that negates you from drafting somebody else in the second or third round next year because, listen, competition is healthy. And I am not done with Dillard. I think Dillard can still be a very good offensive lineman in the NFL, specifically left tackle. Okay, I saw him in college. I know what he's capable of. I think the problem for Dillard is that he hasn't had enough reps at left tackle. I think the combination of Jason Peters being here last year and no minicamp and OTAs off offseason incredibly hurt his development. And I think as long as we don't have another pandemic next year, I think Dillard can still be your starting left tackle, though.
2: It, it would be different if we saw dominant play out of him before the whole bicep injury happened. He was getting waxed, he was getting beat, and I think that's why it has this sour taste in all of our mouths because it wasn't as if he was playing strong when he did get that limited amount of time. But you mentioned, hey, maybe going out and grabbing another lineman and grabbing another tackle in the draft. I think that that's fair to do as well, but then you question what round. You know, because I think the the Philadelphia Eagles do a great job at finding some value when it comes to drafting offensive linemen, right? Say yes. a was a third rounder, Vitai was a late rounder. I mean, you find guys. Kelsey
1: was a six six. Yeah, round, exactly. Right.
2: So they do it so well. Where do they go after a lineman early? Go out and get that definite guy, or do they try and find some of that value in middle rounds that can grow into something important?
1: I think it's the middle rounds, number one. Number two, I think that this draft is going to be completely bizarre because of the college football season situation. I mean, this weekend, we were talking about this a little earlier, there's no power conferences playing this weekend. They're later this month. Like, the SEC's at the end of the month. ACC and Big 12 are in a couple weeks. Did they set an actual date? Oh, yeah, they all have dates. Okay. Yeah. I told you,
2: I've been... Uh, because of all the sports being in action, the last thing on my mind is when does college football begin because I'm so overwhelmed with these playoffs. I'm games. here to help you out. Yeah, thank you.
1: Um, but the, now with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, we talked about the news yesterday, the Pac-12 having the rapid testing now. I'm assuming the Big Ten will get something similar because of the uh, the NBA study with, uh, what was it, uh, Harvard, I believe it was. They produced a new rapid testing that's hitting the market. So I'm going to assume that whether it's Saliva Direct or any of these uh, these entities that you're going to get the big 10, the pack 12 to probably align their seasons together. So we're probably going to have a regular college football season with the other sports. Then you're going to have another season with the pac 12 and the big 10, probably from like December to March. Right. And then you're going to have the Ivy league going on from like February to April. So the NFL draft is going to be the most ridiculous mosh-posh. And then what happens to those Ivy League
2: schools, though, for the next season? How do you flip-flop from I that spring
1: to I fall? Know, I don't know, I have heard a lot of college coaches complain, from Nick Saban to Ed Orgeron to others, that they're concerned about if they don't start the season soon enough, that there could be an impact on the guys' recovery and ability to play the next year. And that some of these guys may look at it and say, I'm not going to play at all next year or I want to transfer because I don't want to play in the spring or all these variables. So, uh, But speaking of the NFL drafts, specifically, I do think that you are going to see some guys' draft stock be incredibly hurt by these seasons, and specifically some of these guys who are opting out because not every guy who's opting out is a surefire talent. Like, for example, LSU's receiver, he's a phenomenal— he was going to be the number one receiver potentially in the country, right? But the D-tackle that opted out, almost nobody knows who he is. His stock's going to be incredibly hurt. And LSU now is going to have basically five starters from last year's national championship team. So now the five guys who are left are going to have a limited sample size because the rest of the team around them is so inexperienced their tape's going to be weakened because of the guys who are not there. And on top of that, think of the team that's going to play against them is somebody who plays against them, maybe like an Ole Miss who maybe was going to be maybe a late-round pick. He plays well against LSU, maybe a scout is maybe not as experienced for said NFL team and says, this guy's great. But he's only great because he's playing against inferior talent, and now your evaluation of that talent is not all equal.
2: Yeah, but can it also help some person's Drop, uh, draft status as well. It's it's a duality
1: to me. It's a it's it's two ways. It's your draft stock gets elevated because you get more playing time, but your draft stock also gets diminished because maybe you're not playing against the level of talent that's measurable. for I was
2: you. thinking there might be some players out there who. If no pandemic happened, maybe they thought that they would have a better season than they would, and then they actually have a poor season, and since they don't play at all, they still have that high draft status to their name because they didn't have a chance to go out there and have a poor season, if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. I'm I'm trying to get the one name of the one guy that opted out because I, I think that he is a he's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, of how for lack of a term, how bizarre this whole thing is. Um.
2: I think that's why you'll see a lot more NFL teams maybe being interested in some traits. Because they don't know what they're going to see out of these players. They don't understand what they're going to be like when they get out there on the field. It's not going to be so easy and so standard like you normally see every season. So with that being said... Hey, why don't we work into a trade here? Why don't we go out and get someone who plays in the NFL that we already know is worthy of being in this league, rather that's, than taking a
1: chance on that's somebody? That's definitely a possibility. So here's the guy's name. So, Jamie Newman. He had just transferred to Georgia. He was going to compete with J.T. Daniels for the starting job. He's opted out of the season, and according to Andy Staples of the Athletic and others, uh, Bruce Feldman as well. I forget. I think he's a uh, Fox News, uh, Fox Sports now. They both say that apparently the reason why he opted out, nobody has a straight answer. Because the original reason was for coronavirus reasons. And now apparently there's a there's a speculation that he opted out because he thought he might lose the job to JT Daniels. And he was transferring there from Wake Forest to elevate his draft stock. And now he's opting out for to prepare for the NFL draft, basically handing the job to JT Daniels. And there's people around the sport that are saying, this guy might have opted out because he was going to lose the starting job. Like, that's a weird situation for a guy that if there was no coronavirus, maybe he's not opting out to plan for the NFL draft. Maybe he just stays in college and plays next year.
2: But even if he stayed and he lost the job, isn't that just telling of what the situation is?
1: Well, I, I think it tells you that maybe he's not as high of a prospect as people might think he is. But now they have no tape to judge him off of. Now they're judging him off of Wake Forest tape, which is going to be two years old by then.
2: I I do think to an extent the whole going off of – if you have – I get that you develop as a player, and if you look, everyone uses the Joe Burrow example, right? What he did last year compared to what he did years in the past. But these people – who study film and study football and they're football guys and they have the football mind, you can look at that Wake Forest tape and still see things that can be utilized in the NFL. No, I'm there not, is. I'm not saying the guy can't develop and grow and have a different type of season that can change his draft stock, but you still know whether this guy can maybe do it or not do it, and and that's still there.
1: But Joe Burrow's not the only one. There's, there's the inverse that happens. Remember Mike Lennon? Okay, he was supposed to be this great prospect— and the for longer he played in college, the more he got exposed. Because people realized his release was a little slow. His ability to process information wasn't as sharp as previously thought. So playing in college allows people to uh, you know differentiate.
2: I just feel there's so many people that hit. There's so many people that miss. I, I mean, it's so hard to tell. And I don't know if I can say, well, the reason why they either hit or miss was because of that last year in college.
1: Sometimes it is.
2: Like, I don't know like, how much I dive into that,
1: though. Like for example, Mitch Trubisky had one year as a starter. And I said, "From the, you know me, I'm, I'm a Mitch Trubisky hater. I was hater from day one. And I said, the guy only started one year. We're judging this guy off of one year of football. We don't know what he would have looked like with more time. We don't know if more development would have helped or hurt him. And in the games where he played the best talent... He didn't play well, and guess what? He went top of the draft because there's one dude who said, that's my guy. Well, guess what? Well, that's now, their fault, though, because
2: if that's right. the one dude and he's the only dude that would have thought that way, well, then this is still kind of a skewed conversation because it only takes that one guy to make that mistake. But what I'm
1: saying is is that the problem is that there's always going to be that one team that gets hoodwinked, and, and when you don't have enough time and tape, it's harder to to evaluate.
2: But there's enough tape out there. It's just how you evaluate that tape. So the tape is out there. It's do you have the right evaluators at that point? And I just think there's just so many people that either work out, don't work out, don't get drafted. They, They get drafted too high. They get drafted too low that I don't know if one year of football is enough to convince me that that's the reason why those people either hit or miss or not. You know? It's hard. It. it's hard. It's not easy
1: to yeah. be a
2: talent evaluator. That's how hard it actually is. If anything, I'm praising the people who do a good job at it because it's that difficult to do.
1: I just think there's going to be a lot of stumbling blocks. Oh, there
2: is. There with is. This
1: stuff, And that's why I say for the Eagles, I'm not 100% sold on this idea that they're just going to go out there and get a guy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they got to weigh all of the things. And I think that... Bringing in Cordy Glenn is the first step in them having an honest conversation about the concerns that you, me, and Mike Gillip have been having all week here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Being brought to you by the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. Sending a big thank you to New Jersey farmers for all their hard work that goes into providing fresh produce by by buying Jersey Fresh. Stay loyal to the local this Labor Day weekend. Buy Jersey Fresh fresh produce. PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open 609 403 I see you Dan from EHT. You say I'm not concerned in Doug we trust. Well that's one Eagles fan that trusts Doug.
2: I trust Doug as a coach. I don't trust Doug as a speaker to the media.
1: <laughs> well that's PT what he thinks coming up for Happy Hour Friday. Pete Thompson coming up next. Of course don't forget every text message to the Sports Bash text board Today gets you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to the Atlantic City In Water Boat Show September 10th through the 13th. Text in 609-403-0970. We'll pick our winners after the show tonight. 973 ESPN
0: FM. Hey South Jersey, this is Billy Schwann. Tune into the locker room every Saturday and Sunday from 10 10-
1: Welcome into a Friday, TGIF Happy Hour Friday. Pete Thompson joins the show on Tuesdays and Fridays at 5.30 on 97.3 ESPN. No Mike Gilta, he'll be back in on Tuesday after the Labor Day weekend. Of course, keep your texts coming, 609-403-0973. We will pick winners for the four pack of tickets for the Atlantic City in-water boat shows September pretend to through the 13th. Guy text in. Join the conversation. 609-403-0973. Contact you after the show. But right now, Pete Thompson joins us on the Boardwalk kind of hotline here on 973 ESPN. Pete, happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday, game seven, game seven, game seven. We're gonna have a game seven. Woohoo! <laughs>
2: Let's go flyer. Dun dun dun, dun, dun. That's, dun, dun, dun. that's the classic D T right there.
1: So before we, that, before we get to that before we get to that PT, I got I got a couple of items on the list of topics from throughout the show to hit you with, okay? All right. All right. So number one, we put the poll out there. Uh Hunter Brody calls the power play peeper. I've never heard of this phrase in my life. We put it on the poll right now. Uh 24.6% say yes, they've heard of this term. 75.4% say no. Pete Thompson, what do you say?
0: I said, absolutely not. I mean, this must be some, like, uh, you know, Connecticut College or wherever the hell he went and played in juniors. I mean, uh, I never heard of this damn thing. A peeper is somebody's eyeball, okay? Or it's that weird dude that's standing outside the window peeking <laughs> through while you're coming home from work. Like, you know, peeper is not the power play. Yeah, you're it is. A no, is I, what you are.
2: I, I commented back with a, dic- a hockey term dictionary, and it says right there, the peeper
0: is known as the power play. I mean, I get it like PP, PK. I understand like how the origin of that could happen, but I don't think it's. I mean, look, Hunter, you played more than I did. I played like club hockey, like, you know, in a rec league, okay? You played like organized actual hockey. So if you say this is a term, But I'm still voting the way I voted, which is absolutely not. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I I think Josh is right when he says that maybe it's just me being, like, I'm diving heavy into the hockey locker room. Like, Like, hey, boys, we're going on the peeper, you know what I mean? Pete,
1: I was saying, like, it's when I start going too deep into the MMA, UFC stuff, and Hunter and you (laughs) and Gil, you all look at me like, what are you talking about?
0: Right. Well, we do that, too, when you talk about Marvel characters, but we love you, buddy.
1: Well, I was trying to keep it sports-related, but, you know, fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the next topic is—now, Pete, we asked Kevin Durso this also earlier in the show. Have you ever, ever had White Claw truly any of these hard seltzers out there?
0: Uh, That is an absolute no. How about no? Absolutely not. No. Uh, when I was still able to drink, I'm, I'm on the I'm on the wagon right now. I'm, I'm behaving, but when I was imbibing, uh, I was drinking beer, you know, uh, and occasionally I'd have some hard stuff. But uh, you know, I, I was not drinking the seltzer drinks, the you know, the White Claw took the rage or the Trulies or any of that stuff. But look, obviously, I'm in the minority because just look at the commercials and look at the marketing. I mean, White Claw came out first, and now everybody's racing to copy it because. You know, I understand the people that say it's the perfect beach drink. I understand the people think it's great. It's just not my cup of tea, you know. If I'm going to have something, I'm going to have a damn beer. Yeah, but your beer is like a Coors Light, no? That's true. It's not a Guinness. I mean, you and by the way, how could you how would you defile my beloved Miller Light with Coors? Yeah.
2: Oh, I'm no, a Miller then, guy. You know, I didn't know you were an also I thought you were a Coors guy. Now I'm just I I'm hurting inside cuz I'm a Miller guy.
0: The origin of my beer drinking is that, like, when I first had a taste for beer, I drank Budweiser because it was, you know, I wasn't doing, like, Natty Ice or any of that crap, you know, or, or, you know, Milwaukee's Beast. I wasn't doing that. But I would drink Budweiser heavy, and then I realized, God, my head keeps killing me. So then I went to Bud Light because, hey, Spuds McKenzie was around, and, you know, they used to come with, like, cameras and Hot chicks, and you know, and spots I mean, so I was drinking Bud Light, and I know the Harrisons, if uh, Darren Maddox or anybody's listening, uh, they'd be like, "Yeah, Bud Light, say Butt Bud Light." Sorry, guys, I dropped your Bud Light for Miller Light. You know, I, the only time I drank Coors Light Hunter was when I was in Nebraska because we were, the first job was pretty close to Denver, so I drank a lot of Coors Light out there, and, and yeah, even stuck in a few banquet beers uh, back in the way and Coors Original and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, I'm you know, if I could have a beer right now trust me, any mixologist in the South Jersey area would be like, Oh, there's Pete Thompson. Let me get him a Miller light.
1: Now, speaking of you right now, I know a lot of people have asked me, how's Pete doing? What's PT up to the Pete Thompson show's been on hiatus. You know, you've been taking care of your health situation. So do you mind giving the audience a little update on your situation?
0: No, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, I had some elective surgery over the, in July and, uh, Hopefully they're going to see less of me uh, as we're moving on. I, I'm happy it was bariatric surgery, and I'm happy to say that I am uh, 61 pounds down from my high weight. So, you know, uh, let, let's put it this way: uh, the, the my pants were falling off the first day of school the other day when I was in there. So I came home and I was like, "Man, I got to get a, you know, I got to cinch this belt a little tighter." And then I realized I was already on the most tight cinch you could. So I had Michael, my girlfriend's son, take his Leatherman out and cut a new hole. And it's like, you know, a good inch and a half away from where the the tight hole was. So, you know, I'm very happy with my progress. And like I said, I'm behaving, no alcohol, uh, staying off of sugar, you know, eating protein first, trying to be healthy. You know, it's been good.
2: That's awesome, PT. I'm happy for you. Now, let's get into the Flyers. You want to get into the Flyers? (laughs) What were your overall thoughts on the game yesterday?
0: You know, almost like a fine wine or or something, it, it takes a while for things to settle in. I was so into that hockey game and on pins and needles, but, you know, I've been a member of the media for so long that I tend not to get, like, way too high or way too low. I just sort of watch passively. And only a day later can I sit back and appreciate, like, if they win game seven, I'm sorry, when they win game seven, but, you know, if they, they go on and win game seven, that game six is going to be remembered as one of the great Flyers playoff games in franchise history. I mean, it it, it had everything in it, including A.V. challenging again. You dumb-dumb, what are you looking at? Get him, rip the monitors out of the bench so he can't do that. You know, I, I mean, again, but uh, Carter Hart was unbelievable. You know, I, the, the amount of rubber that they fired at him Uh, And the fact that he came up big and came up big and came up big again to, you know, it, it was like a, that was great entertainment last night. If you were trying to do a television show or a movie about hockey that was great theater right there. You know, Oscar Lindbaum coming back from cancer and playing for the first time since December 7th. You know, the fact that they got the two goal lead and then, no, they didn't have the lead and then it was tied and then the Islanders scored to take the lead. And oh my goodness, you know, I mean, there was just drama every which way but loose, to quote the uh, Clint Eastwood movie. And when Scotty Locks scored and, and tied it up to send it to overtime, you thought, boy, there's a there's chance here. And, uh, Son of a gun, if uh, they didn't win it in overtime once the guy broke a stick.
1: How cool is it that Provorov now has two of these wins because of him snapping that shot from the line? Like It almost makes you feel like you're almost waiting for that now to happen every game.
0: Well, and here's the thing. I mean, and Hunter will tell you, too. Pro Roth is not known as the offensive defenseman. He'll pick and choose a spot here or there, but for the most part, you know, the, he and Niskanen, the reason they're the top pair is because they think like their position, which is defense first, and occasionally I'll have some offense. He's not Shane Gosmas, bear, who's offense heavy, and, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe if I get around to playing some D, I will. And so for him to have goals like that, uh, and, and such timely goals like that uh, is pretty incredible.
2: I I asked Kevin Durso this same question, but I want to get your thoughts. I don't know how they're doing this. I really don't. They have a 2-0 lead. They lose the 2-0 lead. Their power play is atrocious. Sanheim has a big turnover at the end of the second period to give the Islanders a lead, and this Islanders team is so sharp in the third period. So when you add all this together, not getting enough shots, not generating enough offense, how the hell are they doing this?
0: Uh, they're doing a, a big reason is Carter Hart, obviously, you know, coming up big in big situations and times where things can get out of hand. That's one, and then number two is is that even when they go down, like you know, a couple goals in in ninety seconds or uh, game tying goals, and, and then the Islanders take the lead, you, you know, they just have this resiliency of like we're not going to give up and we're going to keep grinding. What Wasn't Sanheim? Correct me if I'm wrong, but. You know, he had the turnover, but didn't he also have the play at the blue line where he like fell on his ass? Yeah, you know, the Flyers and,
2: had a power play. He fell, and then he had to hook him to save an opportunity. But he didn't even really need to hook him because Travis he exactly. had a good back check.
0: That that's the that's the part that kills you the most. I mean, listen, I can remember being a class of twenty three rink at University of Penn the first time I successfully pulled off a backwards crossover. So I know how GD hard it is to backwards skate and make it effortless. And, you know, you're going to catch an edge at times. You know, a, a guy at hockey school one time when I was a kid told me, if you're not falling, you're not doing it right. Like, you have to play on the edge. You have to play fast. So I'm not knocking the guy for falling down. I'm knocking the guy because he felt like he had to hook the guy when, you know, TK was right there on a good angle. And, dude, you know, just, you know, stop panicking. Like, relax.
2: I do need to get your thoughts. Though I wish I could ask you this off the air because I'm sure the answer would be way more entertaining.
0: But please describe
2: for me this power play.
0: Um, Atrocious, brutal, uh, abysmal, uh, new low in the history of power plays. Uh, Coaches have been fired for not being able to deliver on the power play, and and you know who who's controlling this one? Is it yo or is it Michelle Terry? I'm
2: pretty sure it's Michelle Terry, and I'll look it up. But I'm pretty sure it's him.
0: Right, and, and I mean, so like you know, a guy like that could be a scapegoat, you know, because you can't fire the players. And ultimately, I don't know if it's scheme or if it's talent, but uh, you watch an Islanders power play where they move the puck around and they pass, and Barzell, of course, is just like on a you know, zzz, 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 like a yo-yo going in and out through people, no problem. And then you watch the Flyers power play, and they just stay to the outside, and they can't get pucks through, and you're and they don't have a lot of attack time in the zone, and you're just thinking. This is epically bad power play hockey. Or, real or, it really is. It is Michelle
2: Terry. Yeah. by the way,
0: okay, good. Well, he needs to do something. I don't know what because I'm not Jacques Demer or you know any. I'm not Toe Blake. I'm not any legendary coach. You know, I'm just a guy that's watched hockey for all my life and know that they stink on the power play.
1: PT, you know, I, lo- I know you know I love the Toe Blake reference. Thank you.
0: I had to throw that in for you, Josh.
1: <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you that story a little bit later. You weren't you weren't here for that when that happened. That was a, that was a fun, that was a funny day. Uh, Pete Thompson joins us at the Sports Bash every Friday, five thirty for Happy Hour Friday here on 97.3 ESPN. Pete, I gotta ask you about the Phillies, you buying in?
0: Well, listen, the fact that they're winning uh, this streak without real Muto and without Harper, and Harper of course is going to sit tonight, you know, because they're trying to snap him out of his slump. But you know, Reese Hoskins has been hot. Uh, they're finding different guys to contribute. You know. Uh, am I buying in? Well, yeah, because it's a short season, you know, and and they have just as much chance as anybody. And, and I feel like I feel like they bolstered the bullpen and they had nowhere to go up with the, with the bullpen. But it's it's different than just that. Like the other night when McCutcheon hit that pre run home run. That to me was such a timely hit. I, you know, it almost had the feeling to me like the '07 Phillies. You know, where where they just would always find a way. Like it, they never felt like they were out of a ball game. The lineup to me, top to bottom, is is, is as good a lineup as you're going to find. And the one two, obviously, you know, between Noah and Wheeler are solid. So if you can just kind of sort of fix the bullpen a little bit and then get some hitting and, and try to get Harper back out of his little funk and real muto back to his insane start uh, i think they're right there in it
1: so are you predicting phillies make the postseason or no
0: absolutely because you know how many teams make the postseason although i think i called up a chart today and they weren't on it and i was surprised like i mean you went nine out of ten you ought to be in you ought to be in the teams you're talking about right you have the first place team the second place team and then wildcard teams right
1: Well, the way it works is, so you have the... Yeah,
0: the Phillies are in it right
2: now. They'd be the second team in the NL East at the moment.
1: Right, the way it works, Pete, is that it's the first place, second team of every division makes it. And then there's the two wild cards.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's an expanded playoffs. It's like, quite frankly, if you don't make the playoffs, you're doing something wrong. They're they're 18 and 15, you know, fifth, I mean... they're in good shape, you know, is the way that I look at it. And, you know, they just need to sort of keep on going. Nobody would. Look, Alec Baum is either like, uh, I love the guy, or you know, oh, my God, he's not ready to play third base in a major league infield yet. But, you know, that's that's what's going to happen, especially if this is a sprint, man. 60 games is a sprint, you know, so, like, they've got some stuff coming up. I know they go to the Marlins pretty soon, and because of the COVID and what happened in the beginning of the season, they're going to play something like nine games in seven days or something like that against the Marlins. It's some ridiculous stat where there's a couple doubleheaders packed in there and, you know, we, look, we're not that far removed from what happened in Buffalo. So, am I in on them? Absolutely, I'm in on them. Uh, am I, do I feel like uh, uh, we could take our foot off the gas and just coast to the finish? Absolutely not.
1: He's Pete Thompson. Happy Hour Friday, right here on 97th ESPN. Of course, PT joins the show us on Tuesday with Thompson. Pete Thompson, like all guests appear on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Pete, always good to talk to you.
0: Boys, let's go Flyers. Big game tomorrow night. Let's go, let's go, let's go.
1: Game 7, 7.30, right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tim Saunders, Steve Coates calling all the action. A special edition of five questions next that involve gambling picks right here on 97.3 ESPN.
0: It's Flyers Playoff Hockey tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the exciting play-by-play action. Here's
2: a cut, they score! Ivan Proverov ends it! And there will be... It's time for five ah.
1: questions. Three game then just man five, five,
0: five. Number five on always lovely. I got five on it. Now can you think that
1: sports bash Josh Henning Filling from Mike Gill. Mike will be back on Tuesday. We got a three-day weekend coming up. Before we get to the questions, I promise people my bet pits. Not a ton of college football this weekend, not a ton of UFC, but I'm going to mix and match it there for a little bit, okay? First of all, Middle Tennessee versus Army tomorrow. Army right now is minus four. Did you know that Middle Tennessee is one of the worst teams in college football at stopping the run over the last three years? They consistently are garbage against the run game. Well, guess what Army does? Triple option run offense, right? Take that minus four and run with it. Run with it
2: now, it's funny, your first bet, I remember one of the jokes that we had last fall for you, you love the military team, like you love the Army, you love Air Force, you love betting those games. I've made a lot of money off of betting those games, okay? That's fair. that's definitely the goal here, is winning money, so if you're gonna win with it, then fine, but you love it.
1: My second bet is also in a military game, Monday night, BYU versus Navy. Navy is plus one and a half. Do you know Navy has won 20 of their last 30 games when they are an underdog at home on the Vegas spread? How about that?
2: That's good. No, that's good. Now
1: I'm thinking to myself, huh, should I go in on Josh's picks of the week? If you parlay those two picks I just gave you as well, you can get a plus 265 odds. So that means if you throw $20 in that parlay, you could win $72. How about that? I'll probably put more money down than that. Now, UFC. Tomorrow night, Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Augusto Sakai is this up and coming you know, prospect, right? There's one problem on his resume. Every time he has fought a higher tier fighter, it's always a split decision. He's two and one in those split decisions. Overeem is the best heavyweight he's ever faced. I'm going Overeem tomorrow night. And I'm not just going Overeem. I'm saying that maybe you take Overeem and parlay him with those college football picks are, I just gave you. Are you giving you. us a full five parlay here? No, a three parlay. I didn't know if you were going to keep plus, adding. No, plus four ninety-five. If You go Overeem, Navy plus one and a half, and Army minus five. That's plus four ninety-five. You bet $20. You're winning $119.
2: I don't think I'm in on this one. You lost me once you started going MMA. Not that I don't... I know your knowledge of UFC is fantastic. I'm not big on, let me parlay this baseball game with the random West Coast hockey game with the college football game that starts at 11 o'clock Eastern time with two teams I never heard of. And then, you know what I mean? Like, I i don't like to go down that road with my parlays. Well, you got questions for me? I do. Good luck, by the way, on your bets. Let's Thanks. see if it, it works out for you. We will re... Reconvene uh, Yes Arietta, Does he pitch into the 6th inning tonight? No right. That was easy That was a firm no
1: Do the Phillies win? Yes uh, look, did, look who the Mets have pitching I mean come on It's
2: Will It's Porcello Brandon Workman be utilized at all tonight?
1: Maybe I don't know You
2: can't answer maybe Josh This is yes or no I'm gonna go
1: no I'm, I'm gonna say he gets the night off How
2: many hits for Alec Boehm? One Slow night for him. <laughs> He's a, he gets three hits a night, Josh. Do the Flyers win game seven?
1: Ooh, that's, that's the hard one.
2: I typed yes down before you even answered, so I really hope you're not making me hit delete. That face, you, oh, I'm putting no. That's unbelievable. Shame on you. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm going to go yes. No, I saw your face. You wanted to go no. You're lying to the people.
1: My heart says yes. My head says no.
2: Well, then we're going with no. We only make decisions with our heads here. All right.